Welcome to Conversations with Buddy. Come to you live from the Rec Podcast Recording Studio here in Kaiser, Oregon. I'm excited to introduce uh, our guest for the day. It's Dr. Abbasel Bassan. And I only know you as Dr. Bassan, so what do you prefer to go by? Oh, heavens, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> Depends. If I'm home, then I'm mom. Ooh. Right? And if I'm at work, sometimes I'm Dr. B. Dr. B. And sometimes out at church, they'll call me Dr. Abby. So I guess everything but mom is on the table here. Okay, this is awesome. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, today I'm going to ask you just a few questions. Uh, maybe three at the top of my list are, tell us about uh, marriage, how long I've been married, how many kids you got, and what do you currently do for an occupation? And then I'm going to have some questions I'll lead into more detail. I have been married 27 years. I'll be married 28 years this November. Awesome. Um, I have two and a half kids. And let me preface that by saying I have two biological children. And then about two years ago, my husband and I uh, invited another child, child, she's now 21, <laughs> another young adult to live with us. And uh, she has been a real blessing. So there are three in our home. The one is currently off at college. Got it. Got it. And then what do you currently do as an occupation? I am a naturopathic doctor, and I work here in Salem, Oregon. Awesome. So how long have you been a doctor of, of naturopath? Since 2017. Okay, okay. So you are family's naturopath, so we know you fairly well, but right. we're going to introduce you to our community and hopefully the world. So let's go back a few days or years. Prior to being a doctor, I know that you were once in real estate. Correct. But... Before that, so where did you grow up at? My parents were missionaries, so I actually spent the first seven years of my life in Austria. My mom was an Oregonian, which is how we ended here, uh, back here in Oregon. My dad was originally from Holland, immigrated after World War II to Canada, met my mother when he was in Bible school, and uh, they served overseas for many years. We came back here, again, like I said, when we were seven. Um, I grew up in uh, Jefferson, Oregon, uh, attended both Oregon State and ultimately graduated with, with an undergraduate degree from Corbin in business, um, spent three years working as a staff accountant in CPA firms, decided I did not like doing tax returns, uh, didn't want to go back to school at that point in time, and ended up going into real estate owned a Remax franchise for many years, also uh, got my contractor's license with my husband and built, I've lost count of how many homes here in the mm -hmm. Mid-Willamette Valley. Wow. Okay, so then you became a real estate agent, and how long were you, were you an agent for? I was licensed from the time I was, what, I think either 25 or 26 until I was 43. Okay, so then what led you to the profession right now, because everybody question. goes, hey, let's go into real estate and then let's become a doctor. So right. talk to us about that a little right. bit. In my late 20s, I started having some uh, health issues, um, unexplained fatigue, muscle aches, abdominal issues. And I remember going to our primary care physician, who was a delightful woman and really good for things like bladder infections or just basic uh, basic issues. But presented with this list of symptoms, um, I think she looked at me and said, oh, I think I need to send you to a psychiatrist. I think you're depressed. And I remember thinking, what? Uh, that just doesn't ring true for me. 
And those frustrations continued for me through my 20s, through my 30s. Every time I would seek medical care in traditional medicine, they always tried to push me towards uh, mental health drugs, which I refused to take because in my mind, the reason I was tired and feeling a little low was because I didn't physically feel well, not because I was depressed. And I thought to myself, well, I'm a college graduate. I was a good student. How hard can this be? So I started purchasing uh, all kinds of books on alternative medicine and started reading books on alternative medicine. And as I would start to see correlation between different books, I would start to employ those things into my personal life. If if multiple sources said, you know, this is, this is truth, and I read through it, and it rang true for me, I started, oh, I'm going to try that out. And lo and behold, each new thing I learned and employed in my personal life slowly improve the quality of my health. And uh, I had quite a large library. And in my middle to late 30s, I started feeling a call to go into medicine. I would go to different doctor's appointments with traditional allopathic doctors, listen to what they had to say. And it wouldn't ring true with my own personal research and my own readings. And God inexplicably pulled me into medicine. And so um, I ended up going back to school, and it took me about two years to finish all of the prereqs in order to go to um, naturopathic medical school. And then I was able to uh, start naturopathic medical school at the age of 43. I finished in four years and graduated with honors. Wow. Changed your life. It changed my life. So as you look back, what, what do you think you were diagnosed with, or what did you find out that was it really... Uh, a disease or an illness, or what is it exactly that, sure, yeah. that cured you? So I think it's a combination of factors, and I find that with patients, too, when they come to me. Everyone wants to hang all of their health issues on one condition, and normally it's multifactorial. Hmm. Um, often they'll have undiagnosed food intolerances. They might have an endocrine imbalance. They might have some kind of bacterial imbalance or dysbiosis in their GI tract. Reflecting back now on myself, I would say that I definitely had undiagnosed food intolerances. My dad had celiac disease and I was still eating wheat. So a lot of muscle aches and pains from continuing to consume gluten, I think that played a huge role or just inflammatory foods in general, whether it be tomatoes, potatoes, anything in the nightshade family, green peppers. I think I did have, and I know I had because I treated it, um, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which contributed greatly to my intestinal discomfort. Um, I'm sure I had adrenal fatigue. Uh, it was later diagnosed by another naturopathic doctor with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Interestingly enough, Hashimoto's antibodies often are created with, uh, due to cross-reactivity with gluten proteins. So that kind of made sense to me in retrospect. I also had very high Epstein-Barr virus antibody counts. Whether or not that was an old infection or a reactivated infection, we can't really determine. But certainly Epstein-Barr virus is tied to chronic fatigue syndrome. So providing support for those potentially chronic viral infections helped my health to recover. Can I ask a question? I was just going to introduce my wife. This is my wife, Sean Puckett, and she has a question. Sure. Abby, I remember one time a long time ago you told me a story, and I thought it was really interesting. It was about your health journey and just how, like, um, you could actually feel, like, the EMFs, like, Correct. You still can. When you would go under like a power line. Still can. Yeah, to this day, I still can. When my husband is driving, even if my eyes are closed, if we go under very powerful uh, 
electrical fields, for instance, large power lines. I actually feel it in my body. I can't exactly explain to you how I feel it. It's this weird kind of almost internal sense or vibratory sense. It's almost like I just got charged, you know, the the sense that you just touch something electrical, but at a very low level. And uh, I've been able to feel that all my life. Um, because of that, I'm pretty careful at home to make sure that phones are always turned off at night, that I try to stay away from Wi-Fi, that I don't carry phones on my person or on my body. Um, we use, uh, I believe it's called a stetzerizer in our home and at my work that helps to uh, buffer dirty electricity so I'm not being exposed to EMF radiation. Hmm. While there's multiple factors that affect you, what other questions do you have, Sean, for Dr. Bassan? Um, so, like, what do you find now? Like, I also remember you telling me a story about how, like, you're in church and everybody wants you to be their doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and I know you love that because yeah. you get to help people that yeah. way. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, being in church and being asked medical questions <laughs> can be challenging because of a doctor-patient relationship. I can't really dispense medical advice to patients or to people who don't have that relationship. I can make generalizations. I can say, well, this this is a healthy diet or this is a good choice, but I can't make specific recommendations for the person standing in in front of me. And sometimes I graciously have to say, I'm so sorry, I don't know your health history, and you're not my patient. Yeah. I can't help you. In general, this is what I have observed. And even more challenging are those patients who do attend my church and use the opportunity at church to ask me questions related to their health. Obviously, that is not a HIPAA-secured environment, mm -hmm. and I don't really feel at liberty to discuss their health yeah. with them in front of other parishioners. And so sometimes I go, this is a great question. <laughs> Please message me through the portal, or Perfect. when's your next visit? Um, make sure that you bring this up during your next visit. Perfect. Yeah. Speaking of church, you mentioned church a few times. What church do you go to? We go to Oakville Presbyterian Church. It's an evangelical Presbyterian church. So one of the more conservative uh, branches of the Presbyterian church. How long have you guys been going there? We have gone to that church for, let me do the math here, I think three or four years. Prior to that, we attended an Orthodox Presbyterian church, which is the other very conservative branch of the Presbyterian church. And we had attended there since my daughter was probably three or four, and she is 18 now. So we've been attending conservative Presbyterian churches for a good portion of our married life. Very long time. Yeah. So your faith is an important part of your journey. A very important part of our journey. You mentioned God called you out of real estate. Correct. Into the medical field. That's interesting, uh, that call, because that wasn't what you're expecting, because you have a business degree. I do. My undergraduate degree is in business. Um, in, in business administration, I am very thankful for that degree because as a business owner now, I have to manage my own business. So I see God's plan in all of that. Not only did I have a business degree, I also spent three years in public accounting so I can do the managerial aspect of my business. I can facilitate the bookkeeping aspect of my business. And I also have the privilege of doing medicine. So it's a complete wow. package. And I also have a background in real estate. So when it's time to purchase a clinic or facilitate a 1031 exchange. Everything is there. Every part of the package is there. I can do every aspect of my business and beyond. And I know, you know, I hear from other professionals in the business world that doctors' offices are very narrow in their scope of knowledge. They're not good business people. They don't understand real estate or finance. 
And God took me on a unique journey and prepared me to do every aspect of my business. Hmm. That's awesome. <clears throat> you uh, recently went uh, to a conference and we were talking prior to this podcast and you started sharing some stuff. But I said, hey, pause for a moment. We want to. We want you to talk about what you learned. You obviously continue your education. Uh, you recently went to where, and then what did you learn? Sure, I was in St. Louis, Missouri. I was uh, taking a class uh, taught primarily by Dr. Simon Yu. He's an integrative internal medicine MD. I was actually the only ND present at that conference. There were people from all over the world, biological dentists from Spain, doctors from Germany, another doctor that had originated from Serbia. And it was an interesting class. We focused a lot on the growing uh, pandemic of parasites in North America. Uh, so it was a parasitology class. As we have more and more international travel, as we have more and more people crossing the border illegally, they bring with them third world country diseases. And so we're seeing more and more of that in this country. We also discussed uh, dental infections, especially around root canals, around implants, and the role they play in uh, human health, uh, heart disease, even cancers um, often can be triggered by hidden dental infections. So we had quite a few discussions with our biological dentists about what is present in these occult infections. I think one interesting point I learned was that every tooth has three miles of tubulin. And when you drill out a tooth uh, for a root canal, there is no way you can get all that tubulin. And when you place the uh, filling in for a root canal, you actually um, isolate that tubulin, and it continues to degrade, rot, and potentially grow infection in the jawline. And it's a very necrotic growth. It's an anaerobic bacteria. The bacteria that grow there are very, very toxic to human health. Well, it's interesting you bring that up. About three years ago, I had a root canal, and I've been going to a regular dentist for a very long time. And then we had started going to a biological dentist up in Portland. Yep, it's more expensive and it's farther to drive. They did a different type of um, x-ray. And I think I probably had an infection for three years in my tooth. Yes. What do you suppose I learned that has a major effect, but I didn't know that. What What is the outcome of that infection? I finally get, did get it removed, by mm -hmm. the way. Mm -hmm. But uh, how is that affecting me? Because I think a lot of people probably have the same issue. And they don't know it. Um, well, he probably did a cone beam CT scan. I, I'm, I'm assuming it was Dr. Blodgett. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Yes, it you was. You went to see. In fact, I just talked to him last week. So okay. um, excellent doctor. That Great was a dentist. very good choice. Um, it's the uh, toxins that are leaching from those uh, infections that have a deleterious health effect and also the bacteria themselves. And I think one of the biggest areas that we see is probably cardiovascular health because these bacteria can attach to the valves. Valves are, are avascular, meaning there's no blood flow to the valves, and so they provide great breeding grounds for bacteria that will actually create biofilms on the valves and actually over time cause then calcifications and a dysfunction of the valve, which can then contribute to heart attacks and cardiovascular disease. Um, that's probably one of the biggest things that I see. The other thing that we're seeing more and more is that these uh, occult infections can contribute to cancers. I have a patient right now with an infected tooth, and she recently developed cancer in the lymph nodes that are below this infected tooth. Now, do we have definitive proof that the, the rotten teeth cause these lymph nodes to spontaneously develop cancer? No, but it's very suspicious 
because in all other respects, she's extremely healthy, has no other risk factors, and there's no reason for these two lymph nodes that are directly below this rotten tooth to spontaneously develop cancer. Yeah, like doesn't certain teeth line up with certain organs? Yes, there is a dental meridian system that some people ascribe to. I've read through it. I um, I don't have enough experience to say that I am 100% on board or fully believe everything it says, but I think it certainly bears looking at and probably has some merit. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's interesting. And, Buddy, it's interesting that she was just talking about how it can lead to heart disease. Uh, yeah. You want to <laughs> expand on that then? <laughs> Buddy just recently had a heart attack. So, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That you I haven't publicly that. told people that, but because, you know. It is what it is, and I feel like I'm in good shape, but going from the medical world to more of a naturopath like you, I learned that there's markers that uh, I have to watch, and and I would say for me is uh, uh, teeth health is really important, yes. which mine haven't been, and my diet is really important, which yes. hasn't been. Yes. So why don't you expand maybe on you talk about diet as much as right, right. So in America, we eat what's called the standard American diet or shortened SAD, which I think is (laughs) apropos. And um, we really focus on a lot of grains and carbohydrates in this culture. And it makes sense. They're easy to grow. Grains grow well. They're fast. Um, They're easy to process. They're easy to store for long periods of time. And carbohydrates are great for people who are highly active. And if you go back a few generations when more people were engaged in farming and they worked in the fields or they worked in factories and they were physically active, they burned these excess calories just to provide fuel for their bodies, just like a racing engine that's always burning it at a high degree. They're going to burn that extra those extra calories. Most of our culture now is pretty sedentary, including myself. You know, I sit in a clinic room and I move from room to room. And unless I take a walk or exercise, I'm not really engaged in any kind of high degree of activity. The problem is our culture continues to eat a very high-carbohydrate, high-calorie diet as um, our predecessors did, and even more so now because of convenience. And those extra calories, well, they go somewhere. And if you walk around America now and you look at the population, you, you don't have to look far to see where that's going. And so we're finding it around people's middles, and that fat, that's not healthy. It's hard on the cardiovascular system for each new extra pound of fat we have. We have many, many feet of extra veins and arteries that we have to produce that puts a burden on the heart, puts a burden on the liver. I see many cases of fatty liver disease because we convert those extra carbohydrates into fat. Our liver then has to process that fat and send it out to make adipose tissue. Uh, many people assume that it's the eating of fat that puts fat on them, and actually that's not the case. Biologically, we do not have a means of converting fat we eat to fat on our body, but we are well-programmed to convert carbohydrates into fat, and so uh, our culture is suffering as a result. And for those of us who are more sedentary, uh, myself included, focusing more on you know vegetables, fruits, meats, legumes, uh, nuts, that's going to lead to a long-term healthier outcome for us. And just avoiding grains even altogether or very limited grains on holiday seasons or special times where they become a treat, not a standard of our diet. But they're so good. They really are. I'm oh. not going to argue <laughs> with you. Yeah. And so many people like are so caught up in like, oh, I got to do paleo diet 
I have to be a vegan or right. AIP or right. Do you just like subscribe to any of that, or are you more just like yeah. just do whole foods? Yeah. Well, it depends upon your health condition. So, for instance, if you have Crohn's disease. Then, or some other health condition that's very inflammatory, then I am going to turn you maybe towards AIP or even even to Dr. Gundry's diet, which the low lectin diet I find most effective for people with inflammatory bowel disease. Um, so it really depends on that individual. There isn't one right diet for every single person. If we're treating a cancer per patient, maybe we want to be a little more ketogenic. We want to keep them in ketosis because of the metabolic theory of cancer. If we're dealing with somebody who's diabetic, maybe I don't necessarily want to keep them in ketosis necessarily so much, but I want a lot of meats and, and vegetables in their diet. Um, it, it really depends upon that person. Maybe if somebody comes with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, I'm going to look at more of a low FODMAP diet. Um, maybe if somebody has autism, we're going to look at a GAPS diet. So there isn't one size fits all. And I think the danger with people is they'll find a diet that works for them, and then they'll want to just wholesale sell that and force everyone else into this box that works for them. But that's not necessarily right for everybody. I do think that blood type plays a role in the kind of diet that you live, whether you're type O or type A. Type O's usually do better with more meat. My husband's a type O, and oddly enough, he loves meat. I'm a type A, and I can take or leave meat. I like it a couple of times a week, but I certainly don't like it for every meal. Mm. So I don't think one size fits all. Um, just like we have different models of vehicles that d require different oils, different filters, different parts. I think people are the same way. And medicine has a tendency to shove everyone into the same box rather than considering that person as an individual and uh, developing a, a health maintenance plan that suits their unique genetics and their lifestyle. Hmm. Interesting. So we're getting close to wrapping up here in a little bit, but I have lots more questions for you. Uh, I want to hear about uh, your life as a, as a wife, as a mom. Sure. And then we, we'll probably end on what's next for Dr. Basson. What does the next, next 10 years look like? Yeah. So. so I'm not sure what questions you'd like to know. I, I told you I've been married 27 years. It's um, been perfect the whole time. Yeah. Right? Oh, no, we have our ups what? and downs like any other couple does. And God is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. Amen. There never hurts to come before him in prayer. It's really hard to be angry at your spouse when you just pray together. Right? Because, yes. you know, you can't come before the throne of grace when you're angry. Well, you can, but you better not leave angry. Let right. me let me preface that by saying that. Um, my husband and I live on a mini farm. We have seven and a half acres with um, cows and chickens and ducks and cats and dogs. And um, when we're not at work, I really love gardening. We have a large garden and an orchard, and I like canning, putting food away. And my husband and I love to go hiking, so... We're blessed in that there are a lot of state parks, state forests around us, so we frequently hike with our dogs in those forests. Um, I can't think what else that you would like to know. Kids are both doing, kids are all doing yeah. well, you know, and all two and a half of them, actually three, love yeah. the Lord, right. which for me, having children that uh, seek hard after the Lord, who desire His will, is my first and foremost calling. It's more important than what career they choose, what college they go to. It's the most important thing that I have children that put the Lord first. And I find that if that's the case, everything else will follow. Yeah. So for my husband and I, that's always been our desire more so than anything else is to raise children that seek hard after the Lord. Yeah. I don't know all your kids. I do know 
uh, your son. Yes. Uh, what a fine young man he is. Thank you. And uh, just a joy to know him. And as I go into your office and see him, he's just he's just a super great kid. So polite. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I love Eric. Yeah. He is a very polite young man. Yes. Yeah. So as you think about your life, uh, kind of your calling where God has you, what do you think he's calling you for the next 10 years or so? What's that look like to you? Well, Just I, do the I same think, thing or something? I think medicine is my calling. Um, I would really like to expand our practice. Right now I see patients in clinic, but I would like to be able to provide more services to that patient, the patients that are holistic. For instance, I would love to have um, exercise with oxygen therapy. So bring in the equipment that allows me to do that. I would love to have hyperbaric oxygen for a multitude of reasons, wound healing, chronic fatigue, cancer patients. Cancer patients benefit greatly from a ketogenic diet and hyperbaric treatment. I would love to have colon hydrotherapy. I would like to have room to set up my um, PEMF mat um, so I could treat people, people with additional modalities. You know, we offer lots of uh, IV therapy now, but we just don't have the room that allows us to expand on that and provide all the additional services that we could provide and that I'm authorized to provide, but just don't have the room to provide to provide optimal wellness. And long, long term, in a perfect world, I would really like to see a care facility that is holistic, almost like a holistic hospital for people who maybe needed surgery or needed overnight stays, but in a holistic environment that in addition to the antibiotics we're giving you, maybe we're giving you a nutrient IV and feeding you organic food and juice in the morning as opposed to whatever the hospital food is that most people are fed now. <laughs> what a right? novel idea. I Abby. love that idea. <laughs> Right? I love it. And I know most of my patients, one of their complaints when they go to traditional care is, you know, it's very allopathically based and it it has a role. If you have a broken leg, please go to the hospital. Don't come see me, you know, and there are well-meaning um, doctors there, but many of them would like a more integrative approach to care. It's interesting you say that. So I was in the hospital in June. I found out I am getting a stent. Correct. And I get a stent and then... Physically, I'm in decent shape. I, st I work out five days a week, roughly. Right. Um, and the morning after I get my stint, you know, I'm on a special diet, but I'm in the hospital. I said, well, what's on my menu? Well, you can have pancakes and French toast. And so I'm like, huh. So I order the French toast and the, the omelet, and I get butter and syrup. I'm pretty sure the syrup had the high fructose corn syrup yes. in it. I'm thinking, this is really interesting because I know that's not... Right. The, the wise thing to do. Right. But I would have been giving you celery juice. Sorry. Right. My menu would not be quite as tasty, but <laughs> yeah. it would probably be a little more health right. focused. I just, right. I mean, you're hitting that really, that nail on the head pretty good because yeah. that's what they, that's what they allowed me to eat. I'm like, this is interesting. Now I know that's not the right way to live and I don't, but I like to. Right. So I'm can like, you imagine coming to the hospital? Getting treated, having a stent installed, and then having a dietitian or a naturopathic physician come in and feed you a truly heart-healthy meal. What's a truly heart-healthy meal? Walk you through and explain to you why we're making these dietary choices yeah. for you so that it set the stage for future health once you went home. Not yeah. telling you you can have French toast and corn syrup. Yeah. That would be a lot different. I did not. I mean, I, I really do appreciate the service I got, but when it comes to diet... Right. I don't know that the medical world believes that diet has anything to do with your overall 
health. Correct, which is what sad. Which is true. Yes, which is sad because you can pull peer-reviewed study after peer-reviewed study showing the benefit for a lot of just whole foods, as mm-hmm. Sean said earlier. This is not, they're not expensive things. They're just simple dietary choices. Uh, you know, oatmeal pulls down cholesterol. So, you know, maybe saying, hey, instead of French toast, we're going to give you some oatmeal, some oatmeal this morning. Um, that's a simple thing that a lot of people can do that's not very expensive. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm not really a big oatmeal fan, but it sounds like I should be. Maybe. Is that what you're saying? If your cholesterol is high. Well. I love oatmeal. You do? Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> I'm learning something about her. Only 31 years later, like, oh, you love oatmeal. Cool. <laughs> you like oatmeal and no-bake cookies? <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's my thing. I, I do I do like no-bake cookies. Whoops. Whoops. Uh, that's my go-to thing. So I've got some bad habits, but got to work on that. Yeah, there you go. Well, this is really great. I, I think we could probably go for like a few more hours yeah, we really, can talk to you forever. Which is really awesome because I think you have a lot to disseminate and educate people on that. We're just, I don't know if we're ignorant or maybe just a little bit lazy. And, but if we want to live a long life and have, you know, health into our 80s and 90s, and it's important today that you eat well. And, and that's something I'm, Correct. Sean and I are working on doing. It's not easy. What, what advice do you have? Because I, I know you're the naturopath, and you help people as much as you can, but your time is also limited. So after you meet with somebody, do you refer them out to a uh, dietitian? Or to- I do have a dietitian I refer to, though many people have limited budgets. Coming to see me is usually an expense that uh, is not covered by insurance, even though we do take out of network insurance. Most out-of-network insurance doesn't cover a naturopath. So frequently I ask people, are you a reader? And if the person says yes, I normally try to direct them to some different books that I know have step-by-step plans of how that person should live and eat so they can go back and reference that. If somebody does ask for a dietitian, I do have a list of dietitians I'm comfortable referring to. But If somebody comes in with diabetes, I'll often refer to the diabetes code. I'll say, I need you to purchase that book. I need you to follow that plan. If somebody comes in with some kind of inflammatory condition, whether it's mast cell activation or Crohn's disease, I'll probably say, I need you to buy Dr. Gundry's book, and I need you to follow that plan. And the nice thing is that they have something tangible, and they read through the book. The book explains why the doctor is recommending this particular diet. And I think people like to know why they're doing this. They, I don't think they like to just be given marching orders and say, hey, you're going to do this, whatever, without understanding the thought process behind it. Yeah. Well, uh, Dr. Prasad, this has been a lot of fun. Thank uh, you. We probably will have you back in the near future. Just to, I'm sure you'll go to a new training. You, you can educate us a little bit more. But I personally love the education. I certainly Thank know you. Sean loves education. And as we learn more, it does motivate us. If you do try to, what I've noticed, if I try to change my behavior without education, it doesn't live very long. Correct. Mm -hmm. So if somebody wants to reach out to you to learn more about Dr. Basson and all that you offer, how do they get a hold of you? Well, I have a clinic here in Salem. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the sad thing is I don't know my own phone number (laughs) because I never call it. So it's under my name, um, Abigail Basson, N.D., We don't always take new patients. We take new patients in limited time slots. Quite frequently, we fill up. I know in April of this year, we quit taking new patients, and we just recently opened up again and are taking patients off of our waiting list. And my staff did tell me it was going to take up to a month to get through our waiting list before we were going to open up to the general public again. So 
It's challenging because there are not a lot of holistically-minded physicians available. I think last time I read, there were uh, 5,000 naturopathic doctors practicing across North America. I don't know if that number has gone up. That was a few years ago. Hmm. So um, our, our plates are very full. Um, we certainly need more holistically-minded doctors, and I think more and more doctors are turning that way. I certainly noticed that at the conference I went to. As I said, I was the only ND. The rest were either um, MDs or dentists, and their eyes have been opened, and they are seeking truth and knowledge, and that's a step in the right direction. So I'm hopeful for the future. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you again for being part of our group today, and... and uh It'd be great for whoever's listening to this to reach out to Dr. Basson. Also share and like our podcast. This is good stuff. It's education to become healthier. And so I also want to say thanks for the rec for uh, supporting and hosting our podcast. We appreciate all you guys and wish you a great week and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thank you. Thank you.